Hey, I'm Nyland, the Associate Artistic Director of the Drama League in New York City. Welcome to Talking Direction, the behind-the-scenes podcast going deep into the world of theater, film, television, and online content to celebrate directors, those visionary artists at the center of plays, musicals, movies, and TV shows enjoyed around the world. Each week, we welcome acclaimed guests to explore imagination, risk-taking, and craft, as well as looking at the past, present, and future of the creative industries. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you find your podcast. We're available on all platforms or by visiting dramaleague.org. Thanks for listening and for talking direction. Welcome to Talking Direction. I'm Gabriel Stelian Shanks, Artistic Director of the Drama League. As an organization dedicated to supporting new generations of directors in theater, film, and television, we often talk with those emerging artists in our programs about those they most admire. And one of the names most often brought up is Liesl Tommy. Born in Cape Town, Liesl moved to Massachusetts at the age of 15 and studied acting in London and at Trinity Repertory Theater in Rhode Island. Discovering an interest in directing, she pursued it during that time, and her work now has been seen across the country at theaters as varied as Baltimore Center Stage, Dallas Theater Center, Cal Shakes, Yale Rep, Berkeley Rep, La Jolla Playhouse, and in New York at the Public Theater, the Vineyard, Signature Theater, and more, garnering Obie and Lortel Wards in the process. Many listeners will remember her incredible Broadway production of Eclipsed by Denai Guerrera, which began at The Public and for which she became the first woman of color ever to be nominated for the Tony Award for Best Direction of a Play. But the reason, or, or one of the reasons, I think so many directors admire her is the expansiveness of her work and her vision. She made her television debut in 2017 directing an episode of Queen Sugar and has recently helmed episodes of Insecure, The Walking Dead, Dietland, Mrs. Fletcher, and Jessica Jones, among many other series. Her first feature film, Respect, starring Jennifer Hudson, Audrey McDonald, and many more, will be released by MGM later this year. Please welcome Liesl Tommy to Talking Direction. Hi, Liesl. Hi there. It's very nice to um, be on your show. Thanks, Thanks for, for being with us. I am so excited. I hope you've been doing well during this pandemic. Um, have you been able to rest at all during this time, or are you still grinding away at all of the projects you have in your pipeline? <laughs> Um, I definitely have not been able to rest as I wished. Um, I spent most of the of of last year editing the film. Um, we wrapped shooting maybe three weeks before um, we had to shut down post. So most of this film I edited in alone in my apartment while my team were in their apartments. I bet that added a whole new layer of difficulty to the process. <laughs> yes, that is an understatement. Are, is, are you using Zoom for that process, or had, did you have to do something more bespoke for, for um, communicating a, with the team? Yeah, there's a software um, program called Evercast, um, which is what I used with my editor. Um, and I'd used it before um, on, H, you know, on I think, possibly Insecure, actually, because I, I edited that remotely. But you know, a half hour television show is a couple of days of editing. Um, and this has just been months and months and months and months and months. It's it's not ideal. <laughs> <laughs> well, I definitely want to talk to you about the film, but I'm going to start back. And I guess I really want to start with what I mentioned in the opening. Um, you know, I'm so excited to have you today because there are 
for me personally, um, you know, I see an awful lot of theater. I watch an awful lot of directors and there it's, it's rare when I am more excited than when I'm entering a world that you have created for me. And I think that's because for me, your production seemed very personal, very specific, but also really varied. Um, and, you know, as, uh, as directors, we start to, you know, we know some of the tricks, we know some of the things. And, and so it gets rarer in my career when a director can delight me with surprises, um, you know, or, or to truly have my heart break in a moment for, for me to feel that authentic touch because I have just seen so much of it. And I, as I was puzzling and preparing for this over like, why do I love going to her shows so much? I, I found a quote you did in an interview a few years ago that I, I think I might want to start with. Um, uh, it was an interview you did with The Interval where you said, I don't care about having a signature. I just care about how to make the story as rock and roll as possible and as thrilling as possible. And so I guess, what, what does it mean to you to make a story as rock and roll as possible? What do you mean by that? Um, well, first of all, thank you so much um, for those kind words. It means a lot. Um, and also thank you for your excellent research. Um, <laughs> what, what, that, what that means to me is, um, you know, sort of before I even touch the work, I have to ask myself, is this something that I feel is, you know, right for this moment? Is it pushing the form in some way? Is it exciting me in a new way? Does it feel fresh? Um, is there an opportunity to challenge audiences as well as myself, as well as the artists that I'll be working with on this? You know, so before I even start working on it, I have to ask myself this, you know, a set of very rigorous questions. Um, and that's kind of how I choose the projects. Um, and then once I start, you know, I, I certainly have an aesthetic in terms of performance. Um, and, you know, it's a kind of fully inhabited, hyper-realistic thing where I, I you know, I, some, I want the audience to forget they're watching a play because it all feels so um, real, you know, and so immediate. Um, and so there's a certain kind of process that um, I have that, you know, that I feel like helps get myself and the actors into that place where it, you know, there's a sense of real freedom, real realization of every single second, um, you know, and, and then frankly danger because uh, it doesn't, it does, it, it should feel so real that it should be just a little bit scary, um, you know, as opposed to, I think we've all seen a lot of safe theater where, you know, there might be an argument, but it it's, it, you're not too worried because it feels like a, you know, people on a stage having an argument and what I'm interested in what we all know what is what an argument is what a, what a high stakes in real life argument is and that's what I'm looking to to replicate and elevate you know and so is this something when you say you've you've figured out uh, a way for yourself to create that realness and that sense of danger is this something that you're bringing into the rehearsal room is it a way you sort of speak with your actors how, how have you been able to capture that sort of visceral electricity sure um well you know i was an actor for a very long time um so i do feel like one of the things that um is part of my skill set is my ability to talk to actors and um you know i i have a a process where I, I don't skip the table word process. I feel like it's really, really important to, you know, to 
everybody in the room understand the story we were all trying to tell together. So I do a pretty in-depth, you know, I will take sometimes an entire week to do table work um, so that we, we really understand the spine of the play. We really understand what each character's role is in um, kind of inexorably getting us to the end of that play. You know, everybody has a, has a, um, every character has momentum in a story and what is that and what are the points of connection and how do they change and how do they make the story change so that um, when we get up from table and we start moving around, it's, you know, it's, 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 our brains are saturated with an understanding of the story and then moving around is when it starts to, to, to drip into our bodies, um, our understanding of, of what the story is. So that, you know, movement on the stage, blocking, all of that is in our cells as we try to um, inhabit this story that we're telling. And the question I asked myself at the beginning of each phase of rehearsal, because table work is a phase, um, stepping up from table work on, you know, and moving around with the script is a phase, putting the script down and then having that energy, that naked energy with your scene partners is another phase. Um, and every time I move through the whole play with the, with the actors, you know, I ask myself, Has, have I excavated this fully? What's left to do? And the next time I touch it, I say to myself, is this scene as dangerous and high stakes as, I, as, as it can be? And then I kind of do a pass. And then there's also just like, is this as nuanced as it could be? Um, but I have to question myself always, am I playing it safe? Um, and ask, you know, and, and that's when I know when or how to push the actors um, so that it just feels like we don't skip any steps and it's all been excavated. I'm hearing you talk about your, your directing technique and use words like playing um, that, that, that we normally associate with actors. It seems like your early training as an actor has informed the way you direct. Would that be true? Very much so. Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I, you know, I absolutely love rehearsal. I love, I love actors. Um, you know, I, I, a playwright once said to me that she didn't know another director who had as many close friends who were actors as, as I do. Um, and I guess because I, you know, I think there's a part of myself that still feels like an actor. Um, mm. And, but, you know, so for example, when we step up, get up from table and start moving around, I'm always first interested to see it. I know it's unnerving for some actors, um, especially musical theater actors, but I'm, I'm always interested to see where they put themselves in the space. So I kind of like the first pass we do of any scene to, for them to self block. I can give them, you know, where the entrance is, but then I just want to see how their bodies move in space. That's my, you know, and then I can respond. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I just, I think I also just have a real um, trust in actors. Um, and that play, that back and forth, is far more interesting to me than to sit at home and plot out, you know, where people are going to move. I mean, when you're doing Shakespeare and you've got 24 people on stage or a big musical, obviously, then you do need to give. Otherwise, it's just frustrating for everybody. Um, you need to give people, you know, a space to live so that you can get that composition ultimately that you want. But when you're in process, I'm just so curious um, to see what people's bodies do and what their impulses are first. I think it's so important to to really lift up as an idea that direction is um, 
in harmony with the instincts of the actor and yeah. and not something we place on top of them um that's it, something i think lies underneath a lot of what we call success in our field um in the work is that the sense of authenticity versus artifice often lies in how harmoniously we're we're leaning into that talent that the actor and the instincts that um, happen on almost a subconscious level in them and how we build upon that. That's exactly right. You know, it is, people always throw the word collaboration around in theater. Um, But, you know, what does it really mean in terms of process? And so for me, you know, the the process with the actors is one of the great, greatest collaborative joys, you know, in in, in the form, so. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you know, not only do I think, you know, the emerging directors who are in our programs, um, wh- how, why they respond to you is is partially this, but I think also they see you as having charted a path for your career, um, whether that has been conscious or not, that many of them are interested in emulating. Um, I think in in this particular moment in the American theater, you know, we're we're recording this in early February 2021, so we are in the middle of maybe the end of the pandemic. Um, we're contemplating a return to live performance, and we're and we're listening to BIPOC artists and women artists and queer artists speak um, very bravely to the struggles they've endured just to even exist in this industry. Um, and for a lot of the the conversations and and questions that. Um, we in the theater wrestling with, I've, I've seen you, in, in my view, at the front, um, the forefront of those conversations. Um, you know, uh, Eclipsed was the first production in Broadway history to feature an entirely female, in, entirely black cast and creative team. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember encountering from here in New York, the incredible response to, which I did not see, but your reimagining of, of Les Mis in Dallas, where, you know, I am told that like the show opened with a prisoner in an orange jumpsuit, um, being beaten by prison guards and riot gear. Yeah. Um, and so it seems like you've been having this conversation, um, in a way, uh, that we all, um, hope to emulate. I, so maybe could I ask you what what have been your challenges if you as you've centered these ideas and these priorities in your work? I'm I'm guessing it has been difficult and complex to navigate. Um, it has, you know, my my friend and I always says go where the love is, and one of the first things that I feel like I learned in this business um, was to find the artistic directors who valued my point of view. Um, and who were going to let me um, use the productions to experiment and express myself. Um, Because I've certainly been at the theaters where I was the first person who looked like me brought in, and it was very challenging, um, you know, to not feel like um, the company looked at me as a, you know, some kind of diversity hire from, you know, from like an old fashioned affirmative action point of view. Um, And, and I, you know, it was, that definitely was challenging because every single decision or question or idea you had was kind of looked on with a little bit of skepticism and, 
you know, like they just, this like my project was just the project they had to get through, you know, and then they could go, bu- go back to business as usual. And that was sort of when I was in, in the younger, you know, the, the earlier part of my career. And I realized quickly that I had to challenge it. It was, you know, it was hard because your, your theater is really, it's, it's a, works from a place of scarcity. Um, mm-hmm. So when you decide to challenge, um, you know, the status quo or make demands, it you do feel like you're taking your career into your hands, you know, like you're, you, you're possibly risking. And that's it certainly happened. There's places that, you know, I, I did. I know I did a great job. I, I know it because it sold well and it got great reviews and I, I wasn't asked back. Um, and it was because I, I made people uncomfortable. And now we have all kinds of language for it. But then we didn't, you know. Um, and you there's a lot of gaslighting and you feel crazy and you and you feel like, you know, you um, you maybe did it to yourself by, you know, being um, for asking too much. And then, of course, you, you know, you, you get to know your white male peers um, and you realize that you're not you're not screaming during tech. You're not abusing people and those people get asked back all the time, um, you know, but it's you're making people uncomfortable. So, for example, at a theater in the, in the early part of my career, they often would say, you know, we're going to because you're you know, you're you're new. We're going to surround you with more experienced designers. And what that meant was basically older white men, every single designer. Um, mm. And that's really intimidating. Um, yeah. You know, there's a lot of condescension. There's a lot of dismissal of ideas. And it's really stifling. And it, it really makes you question yourself. It's destructive to your confidence. Um, and so I very quickly learned that I had to have my peers with me. Um, and that there is there is value in, in um, you know, being new. <laughs> and having, you know, a bunch of new ideas and voices collaborating together. So, you know, I, I, I had to, you know, take my courage and say to, to artistic directors, listen, um, I don't want you to surround me with um, experienced white men. I have no problem with experience, but it, there just has to be more diversity. And you'd be amazed at how um, problematic that question was, um, that, that request was. And, um, you know, so there was just many, many times where I just find, felt like I, I was kind of alone in the wilderness making these quote unquote crazy demands. That's because that's how I, I was made to feel. Um, but I just knew what had to be done and I did it. Um, and, you know, when you're one of the only ones who look like you that you know, in a building, I believe you have a responsibility um, to you know keep that door open for for more of you it is not fun to be the low you know the the only lonely um and so that you know that's where all that came from and then you know once you found those people who were actually interested in your ideas and your and your artistry not just your black or brown body in their space you know um so they could take a box off that's who you want to continue to work with, you know? So for example, when I worked um, at Dallas theater center, I felt very much like, um, because I knew, you know, Kevin had offered me, um, you know, a big classic in the past and I couldn't do it. And then, you know, he'd offered me a couple of, you know, really 
big shows and I, I couldn't do them. And then he kind of was like, all right, Les Mis, like that's gotta be like, <laughs> that's gonna make you want to come to Dallas. Um, and I was like, yes, actually that does make me want to come to Dallas. <laughs> so I, I felt very free to explore, um, ideas. Um, and that is what, you know, what art is, 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 is where the art, you know, the, the, the generative artist is, is, is free to, to, um, you know, go to their core and, and, and be as creative as, as possible and make work that is as relevant as possible. And I felt like I could do that. So I, you know, I learned how to, um, separate, you know, people who just needed to tick a box off from people who were genuinely interested in challenging their audiences and themselves and their, their staff, you know, um, so that's a, a long answer to that question, but yeah. Well, it's great. And I, you know, I think um, it's instructive to say, you know, who you work with says, says volumes and, and the idea that, you know, you found places that did um, recognize your totality and your authority and your ability um, is one answer. I, you know, I would just add additionally, you know, at the drum league, one of my jobs is to talk to, you know, early and mid-career directors, and I do it every day. And the gaslighting that you mention, the um, the idea of white supremacy being applied by having more experienced hands, that all of those things. Sadly, Liesel, this is something I I talk to BIPOC directors every single day about. Yeah. Um, and so I'm curious if you like. I don't mean to put you on the spot, but like. Any tips, any techniques for how to combat that? Um, when you're in the moment, when you're in the room and you were faced with that gaslighting, when you were faced with that um, all white room or, you know, how how did you, res- what have you found that is effective in, the- have you found things that are effective in those spaces? I, I have actually, and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's across all the mediums, right? I've experienced it in in the film and television space as well. Um, and it's very hard in the moment to keep your wits about you when this is happening, especially when you're usually the only person of color in a room. Um, it, it, it takes a lot of practice to, you know, to bat that right back at them and to have the, re- the language to confidently wield. Um, I think more and more um, of our our young directors and artists are finding that confidence and that language. It, I mean, you know, we didn't have words like white fragility when I was, you know, in the midst of, of, mm-hmm. of you know, carving out a career. Um, but there is, you know, there's so much codified language that really, really helps you with your experience. Um, but one thing that I have done is after something that, you know, has felt wrong um, is I immediately put everything in an email um, and send it and I'll send a copy to my, my reps. Um, but I will use, you know, language like, um, that was anti-black or, um, you know, that was one of the most, um, racist experiences I've had. I put, I, I give language to the experience because it's my experience and I put it on paper um, because it's not a feeling, you know, and that there's something that we've been trained to do. It's part of that gaslighting to, to doubt ourselves and to feel like our feelings are not legitimate. They're, that You know, it's a feeling, not a fact. Right. Um, but the truth is, is that um, sometimes 
anti-black behavior is a fact. Most times it's a fact. And if you put it on paper and you ex- and you explain what happened and you explain how it made you feel, you know, it suddenly becomes more official. That's and great advice. It, and it's very, it's, you know, it, they're in a tough position if they dismiss you. Um, and that's, to me, that's the best way to protect yourself and to, um, and to paper trail your experience if it's, you know, if it's, it's negative. Um, and I've, I've had to do that, you know, more than once. And, and I feel that once you do that, it, it changes things. It, you know, it's never, you're never, it, it's all, you're always risking something. Um, but I do feel like people are more and more aware of their own subconscious bias and sometimes straight up conscious bias. Um, and you know, one thing I also often say when I, you know, when I have to send these kinds of things out is I will say, I know that, um, often when, um, the dominant culture gets, uh, feels called out, um, around issues of race, they become defensive. Um, and that can sometimes lead to, um, you know, behavior, destructive behavior, where the person of color um, needs to be, you know, removed or annihilated so that they don't feel bad about themselves. You know, I use different kinds of language around that. So you can you can kind of preemptively name um, how, you you know, sometimes how they strike back at you for, for naming the thing. So it, it's like you're naming, naming, naming. It's a lot of emotional labor, but it's... Um, yeah. It's kind of like being in a rehearsal room with a really good stage manager. You've got to stay, stay 10 steps ahead, 20 steps ahead of the moment at all times. Um, you know, so you, as you're naming your experience, you also, you know, name the danger that you're, you're in. Um, right. I have found that to be, you know, it, it creates, it just creates a little space for people to think about what they said or did. Um, yeah, it's a lot of work in addition to actually making the art. Yes. And it's interesting. I mean, not surprising, but I, I find it interesting that you've had to encounter this as you moved into film and television work as well. And I know that um, a, a number of directors are um, expanding their interest in storytelling in those mediums. How has that, uh, do you see that as a transition for yourself from theater to, to television and film? Um, or has it been sort of a... Um, I don't know, uh, as complicated a journey as, as you faced in theater and, and around these issues and around expressing yourself as an artist? Um, for the most part, I have had an incredible time in the film and television space. Um, you know, I was very lucky in that um, Ava DuVernay saw Eclipsed and she, and, you know, and I, I had always planned on a film and television career, actually, like it was um, something that I, I knew that I, I wanted to do. And I, you know, I had spoken to my um, agent about about that being a long term goal. And when you know when Eclipse was going to move to Broadway, you know, I started working with a television agent in LA to kind of just start to lay the groundwork. And when she saw that show, she just offered me an episode. And mm-hmm. I mean, you know, everybody had warned me that television directing was one of the hardest fields to break into that you would direct a feature film before you could direct a television episode because it's, it's so, um, you know, it's, it's a really small club and 
you know, the networks were just really afraid of taking a risk of, of, um, cause it moves so fast, all these, you know, these to me made up reasons, <laughs> um, which is why it was, it stayed so white and so male for so long. Um, and you know, part of Ava's kind of mandate was like, that's not, it's nonsense. And so she created an environment where people could be, um, trying things for the first time, AKA television directing, so in a way it was perfect because I, there was a safety net inside of it. Um, you know, everybody there understood that people were moving into the, into this medium for the first time. Um, so of course I did it. And one of the great joys of that episode were the two leads, um, Don Lynn Gardner and Tina Wesley, both were actresses that I gave jobs to when they got out of Juilliard. Oh, really? Um, so they just had this like enormous, open-hearted love for for me and for us working together because you know they they felt like I brought theater back to them in the you know in the process and um it was just really fun and I all my you know my concerns about not having gone to, to film school or you know my understanding of every single nuance of the technical aspect of television directing went away because I understood that my ability to talk to actors and my ability to communicate dramaturgical ideas and specify story arc ideas to all of the department heads and to the cinematographer, you know, all, it was just, it all stood me in good stead. That theater training, you know, was, was kind of perfect. Um, And, you know, and, and all the technical parts of it in terms of lighting and in terms of camera and in terms of sound, you learn all of that. Um, uh, but the thing that you know you that that you can't necessarily learn on the job is how to make sure that story is being told every single second with forward motion and specificity. Um, you know, so th- it was a it was a real uh, gift to be on that set for my first time. And then, you know, I was kind of able to curate what I wanted to do after that because I really wanted to only work on television that felt cinematic, that had great writing. You know, I I used my you know, the standards with which I would work on a, on a play um, is the same standard, standards for choosing television. And I, you know, I have an interesting genre. I love zombies. I love action movies. And so I wanted, that's why I did the Marvel stuff and Walking Dead, because also it was just, again, playing in a new sandbox that you, you know, you can't play with in theater. So if you're going to move mediums, then, you know, enjoy it. Um, so that's how I looked at the television part of it it's great to hear and and you know um just personally there's a there's a not insignificant uh fan club for queen sugar at the drama league offices and so we're um it's delightful to hear that that set is so wonderful um yeah it's terrific um well and i'm gonna then sort of ask you to take the next leap into um the realm of features has that been um a, a significant jump or, or does it feel just sort of evolutionarily like the next step? Yeah, it did feel evolutionary. Like the next step. That's a great phrase. Um, you know, cause I had my eye on a, on a feature film, you know, all along. And I mean, I, in no world did I ever imagine it would be the Aretha Franklin biopic or that it would be a big studio film. I did really think that I was probably going to make a small independent film as my first feature, but I kind of realized that, my 20 years of, I don't know if it's, that's maybe um, a little, 
excessive. I don't think it's been 20 years, <laughs> but it has been a long time of theater directing, or at least being in the theater, um, was like doing a bunch of independent films. You know what I mean? In terms right. of uh, ex- exploring ideas in small spaces <laughs> with small budgets. So um, when I had that interview for, um, they reached out to me about this about this movie you know, she's one of my absolute favorite musicians. Um, she's a personal hero. And I was just really ready with a very, very strong pitch. Um, I don't even think that it was kind of a getting to know you phone call, but I just went in there with a pitch like this is the movie. This is what it should be. Um, and they were it was really just an exploratory conversation because they were going to hire a writer first. Um, but then in the end, they really liked the pitch and then they they brought me on first. And so I was able to develop this film, you know, from the ground. Um, which was which is rare and amazing. It was an amazing experience. Could I could I ask about that pitch experience? That sounds I'm I'm you know I think trying to tell, or I mean it's the Queen of Soul, right? Like like it is such an honor and also such a responsibility to tell that story. Yeah. I, I'd love to know like what what did you walk in there with as as your ideas as a director for it? Um, well, you know, so the. Th- the thing that I, I did with that story is the thing that I, I do with all, um, you know, plays when I get it, get them and I think, and I'm doing my prep for them and I'm thinking about them, which is just like, you know, what, it, what, it, what am I relating to? What am I, what it, what's um, firing up my imagination and, my, and, and, and making my heart break or my heart sing? And the part of her life that I was the most interested in, I guess, was just how she became a star. Um, because she was an extremely shy girl, um, really, really withdrawn almost. And she became the queen of soul. And how, how does that happen? And also, you know, there are so many incredible black women singers in choirs then and now all across this land. Uh, what made her voice and her um, song stylings so different? And that was what I was interested in is like how, how she became who she became, you know, it was almost like an origin story, a superhero origin story, I guess. Um, Cause I love, I, I, I always love the beginning of superhero movies. And then I just kind of tune out in the last 45 minutes when everybody just starts bashing things. Um, so that's the part that, you know, that's that, that really resonated for me. And so I, I put a pitch together that had, you know, Again, I'm a dramaturgical director that had a beginning, middle, and end that had a very clear character journey, had conflict, um, you know, had a tagline, and that's what I presented. And and then I made a lookbook for it when I realized, oh, I was getting kind of moved up the pike and I was going to meet with the head of the studio, um, you know, and I worked with my friend Clint Ramos, who's a, a designer that I, theater designer that I work with a lot, and we made this lookbook. Um, and the lookbook that I made for that movie is the movie that I made. Oh, that's terrific. Yeah. <laughs> I was re- oh. just looking at it again and I was like, wow, this is, the, this is what we did. This is the movie. Um, you know, it was just, I think the specificity of this, of the idea um, and the drama inside of it is what they responded to. Well, and uh, you know, I, uh, <laughs> I'm sitting here thinking uh, Aretha Franklin as a superhero origin story, really, re- I mean, I, I have read biographies I and, and like, I can see that I, it makes yeah. so much sense to me. 
Um, um, I'm so excited to see it. I, I wonder if in this moment I might pivot you to um, not only what you may be able to, I know you have a ton of things in the pipeline. I don't know which of them you can talk about and which you can't. Um, but uh, we've also had this moment where we've just had this explosion of digital theater and audio plays and live capture. And, you know, I, I attended a video game performance last week, um, all these new ways of telling stories. I, I wonder if you've had any time to experience this work or, and are you interested in where these experiments go and, and what do you see next for yourself? Um, well, you know, during dur- last year, um, dur- you know, as we're heating up towards the election, I um, worked on this project called Broadway for Biden, which was a, a huge fundraiser that happened online. Um, and it was kind of extremely, um, which I directed, um, and produced with my, with my, um, creative partner, Jennifer Mudge, um, as well as many other incredible people, but it was, you know, it, it happened all digitally. We had to, we edited it and shot it. Um, people shot things at home. We, we, we shot a huge number in Times Square, um, you know, all of it in the middle of this pandemic and then edited together for this event, um, and, you know, it was amazing just in terms of who, you know, who showed up for us. Um, Jennifer Hudson sang the finale. Um, you know, so many people did so much work. And it was just so interesting how in that brief time, people were completely ready, willing and able to do stuff remotely. Like that, you know, actors learning curves are really astounding. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> um, like, you know, uh, Sam Jackson and his wife Latanya just you know we t- we I I told them what I wanted them to do. Robert O'Hara wrote a monologue um, for it, and they you know we just chose a spot in their home, and they got to got you know to, they just got it together because people this is what people were doing. And then the more ambitious stuff, like all the musical numbers that I decided had to be in it, you know, we shot live um, in and around New York City, very guerrilla style. Um, because we we couldn't always get permits. Um, so, you know, that was a really great marriage of, you know, my theater life and my film life. Um, and I, you know, I, in the early part, I'm going to be brutally honest, in the early part of COVID, I watched a lot of these um, online performances because I was just curious how, you know, people in theater, I wanted to support also because it was such a, such a dark time. Um but I don't know if quote unquote Zoom theater <laughs> is anything I want to be messing around with. Um, it, you know, there's something about it that that hurts me inside. Mm-hmm. So pushing, you know, that form, figuring out what, you know, what it can look like. Absolutely. Um, but I guess for me, um, there's just nothing like the the live exchange of energies. I, I think all of us in the theater agree with you on that, um, you know, and, and whatever happens with these experiments, I think they are going to be their own thing. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't think it, um, I, I think it's a poor replacement for being in, in space with other people. Yeah. Um, but I do think it's got possibilities to, yeah. to become Absolutely. something else. Absolutely. Because, you know, that's the, as I was saying, you know, people are amazing in terms of how, how quick their learning curve is, how quickly they, you know, they, how creative they are um you know just the the morphing that we as artists do um is just astounding you know 
it's just side story. I remember in 2008 when the markets crashed, I had a, a boyfriend at the time who worked in finance and, um, you know, he would tell me these stories about going into work and everybody just slumped over their desks in absolute terror of, you know, each wave of layoffs. Um, you know, and all these like tough alpha males, quote unquote, alpha males, um, were really cracking under the pressure. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, wow, they, they're not like artists. Artists, we have internalized the concept, the concept of instability. <laughs> right? Like we, right. we do right. not know. Nothing is guaranteed for us. Nothing is owed us. That's how we, you know, to survive, you kind of have to accept that. Um, and they were just absolutely cracking at the thought of not um, potentially not having a job for a period of time. And it was, you know, it was not pretty. <laughs> it was no. not pretty for those guys in that situation. And I, you know, I just think about the resilience of artists. Um, it's it's such a painful time and, and so, so much uncertainty, so much grief, so much fear. Um, but the truth is there is something at the center of, of you know, artistic life that kind of um, where, you know, we, this is not unfamiliar territory. Yeah. And, 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 you know, whether it's something in the artistic spirit or something that we are forced by the system that we work in, the economic, you know, mm-hmm. system of capitalism that says artists must be unstable, <laughs> you know, um, that resilience is real. There is yeah. And I, I want, I want that to go away. I want there to be more stability for us. But I also feel like having to constantly pivot and and redefine yeah. ourselves and redefine our work is healthy for Agreed. The, for an artist. Agreed, and and it makes it possible to do a great number of things. Yeah. Um, well, I know we are only have a few minutes left, um, but I'd love to pivot to. Um, uh, maybe some more uh, fun questions since we've been dealing sure. with the pandemic. Um, 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 I, I, on this podcast, we are very curious about what you dream about. Um, and I'd love to ask you about collaborations on your bucket list. Um, you know, you've worked with so many amazing people um, already in your career, but is there anyone who you haven't worked with that you're like, wow, I'd just really love to collaborate with that person someday? Um, wow. What a great question. I mean, I, I am very privileged, you know, like one of my favorite artists of all time is John Kander of Kander and Ebb. And I was so lucky to do a musical with him, a new musical with him, um, Kid Victory, you know, and it's like growing up, um, Cabaret was one of my all time favorite movies. I watched it over and over and over and over again. Um, and Bob Bossy, you know, somebody I found really inspiring. And then to, you know, be able to spend time with John, who's so generous and such a gentleman, um, you know, and he would just, just share stories and, and, um, and he was so, you know, um, always so complimentary to me and my work and our collaboration, um, you know, that it was, it was just sort of like, hi, does it get better than this? I don't know if it does, um, you know, because it, it sort of was like, oh, this is the dream of theater. This is the dream of a collaborator. Um, so, you know, I don't know. I don't know who, who else after John Cameron. <laughs> <laughs> I, I <laughs> have know, to, he, I, 
<laughs> I have to agree with you, John. John has been a member of the Drama League for over forty years, and it is just the loveliest man in the world. And yes. and you can't and do, you can't do better than John. No, I really don't think you can. Um, you know, and then perhaps someone like Ava, who I admire so much, Ava, Ava DuVernay, um, you know, see my work and, and just sort of without me having to, to, to hustle or prove myself in an interview, just saying, yes, you belong here, go and do it, um, you know, was, was pretty amazing because, again, coming from theater, there is something that, you know, as a as a woman of color in theater, even at this point, you constantly feel like people expect you to jump through hoops because people expect you to be grateful for, uh, for anything that they offer you. Um, because it, you know, there is still a sense like you're a visitor in, in our terrain. Um, and one of the great things about moving into the film and television space is people just kind of go, Oh, you're here. Here's your seat. Here's, you know, here's your, here's your, your director's chair. Um, in a way that, you know, it just, it, it doesn't quite work like that in theater. So, you know, being, just being able to work with the actors that I've worked with in the film and television space, the, you know, the writers and the producers has been pretty, pretty awesome. Um, which, and the gift of that is that it has really made me feel like I can um, do anything I want in this space if I come up with a good enough and strong enough idea which is oh. a really powerful place to be in. Yes, it is. It, it just suddenly occurred to me that John Kander may be listening. If so, hi, John. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't know, but anyway. <laughs> but, um, fan society here. Um, and lastly, Liesl, I'd love to ask you a question that, that um, I'm asking everyone in conversation with us um, on this podcast. Um, because we are an organization that is about uh, sharing with the next generation and, and making sure that um, directors and storytellers stay an important part of the uh, fabric of America and the world. Um, if I could ask you to think back to your earlier self in college or before or, or at a moment, if there is one piece of advice that you could pass back in time to your younger self about the field um, or about directing, what what might that piece of advice be? Um, it's a wonderful question. You know, so I, I teach, and one of the things that I think is my primary responsibility, whether I'm teaching actors or whether I'm teaching directors, or, and when I'm on set or in a rehearsal with young artists, is to build up their confidence. I think it's, um, it's, a, it's a responsibility that I have, that we all have, um, is... Every single second you're working with young artists is not to undermine their confidence, but to build it up so that they can trust themselves. Because this is such a, that instability that I talked about earlier, um, you know, the, the, the constant rejection that artists go through. Um, if you create an environment where artists can, uh, from, young, from a young age, can trust themselves um, and feel confident in their their own personal poetry, their own personal artistic sensibility, um, then they can weather all storms. And you just never know what people are capable of when they, you know when they're given space. And so it's really, really important to shore up that confidence in the young artist um, so that they can hang in there. Um, and so that's the thing I, I you know I implore any 
uh, any artist, but particularly young artists listening is be around people who help build up your confidence and fig- and that is your work. That's really, you know, the, the creativity that comes, you will expose yourself to all kinds of interesting books and films and, and pieces of art that will, as a creative person, fill you up. But um, the most important tank that must stay filled is your sense of self. Um, so that's the part that I just, you know, I, I, I really pray for all the time is that the people young people in you know in my in my uh world understand their value so that because when people understand their value they can fight for a more equitable um field excellent advice excellent and know your value yeah um Liesl, tommy thank you so much for being here we are incredibly grateful to have an artist like you working in the world the drama league we are huge fans um <laughs> and admirers um and we look forward to seeing respect and to following your work um as we come out of the pandemic and come back to live performance thank you for being here today thank you so much gabriel it's a true pleasure Thanks for listening to today's episode of Talking Direction. Join us every week by subscribing while you're here. Also, let us know what you think. You can follow us and engage with us directly on all social media platforms with the handle at DramaLink. Talking Direction is a project of the DramaLink of New York, America's only not-for-profit lifelong home for stage directors and the audiences who treasure their work on stage and films on television and across the internet. During the pandemic, We're providing essential services to help theater folk and their families who are suffering from economic and health struggles due to COVID-19. If you'd like to join us in this effort, visit dramaleague.org and click donate or become a member. We'd love to have you a part of our Drama League family. Thank you for listening. Until next time.